welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Yet again, uh, recorded hither and yon around the New York City metropolitan area. I'm Calvin Reed, a senior news editor of Publishers Weekly, uh, editor of PW Comics World, and editor of the Fanatic, PW's twice a month comics and pop culture, pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publisherswiki.com slash comics. On, I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com, the news site of comics culture. And you can find us on Twitter at, at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online at Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the Apple Podcast app and on Google Podcasts and on Stitcher. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And don't forget, on any of those wonderful platforms, you can give us a thumbs up, a rating, or even leave us a comment if you feel so inclined. And we love to hear from our listeners. Talk to us, please. All right, this week on More to Come, uh, a, 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 a misbegotten ma- uh, ban on Art Spiegelman's <laughs> great classic, Mouse. And, uh, and a little side talk about the ALA, uh, graphic novel, adult graphic novel list. Uh, Substack, the second wave of comics. Uh, Topatico launches a crowdfunding platform. Action Lab, a class action lawsuit, uh, lots of trouble there. Uh, uh, we've got a profile scout comics, or PW has profile, uh, scout comics. A, a small, fast growing, uh, indie comics house. Uh, and, uh, the manga publishers versus Cloudfare uh, and a fair use victory. So, uh, I mean, the all, the only thing anyone is talking about, frankly, is, uh, the, the misbegotten, you know, ban on mouse. I mean, every, there's all kinds of, uh, commentary, uh, pushback. I mean, it's absurd. We, one thing we, I think we should point out, uh, is that books uh, like Mouse, like Raina, um, pick a Raina Telgemeier book, uh, Bone, um, uh, uh, Jer- Jeff, Jerry Crafts, New Kid. There are comics on the banned book list on the uh, on the uh, library challenges going back years. Now we're seeing a whole new level of organized repression and censorship, but this is an ongoing problem uh, in, uh, in publishing, and I guess. In our democracy, this well, effort to censor books. Talk, well, we've been talking about this on the podcast for for months. Yeah, know? we've been talking about this quite a bit, and uh, it took uh, Mouse being uh, well, you know, banned is a is you know, there's a lot of headlines that are very sensational about this. I guess it's removed from yeah. the eighth grade curriculum at yeah. the McMinn County School. Right. I mean, and, I think part of what makes this interesting is that it's not just a book that someone could check out that was removed from the yes. library, but rather something that had been an integral part of the curriculum. Yes. Um, yes. Removed. And also the school board minutes meeting was, yeah. you know, transcribed. And actually Comics Journal has the whole thing up today for our edification. And, you know, it's terrible. It's just, yeah, it's, it's absurd. Just, it's, it's, hard, it's absurd. It's heartbreaking to read mm-hmm. because, you know, these educators are trying to say, like, look, this is, book about history and you know they're like well there's a naked woman and you know the naked panel that they're talking about is of art spiegelman's mother 
dead yeah. in the bathtub where she committed suicide. And, you know, the idea – I don't even know where to begin, but, you know, the idea that eighth graders are – that's 13-year-olds, like, can't be exposed to mouse is just yeah. just ridiculous. It's absurd. And then, But, you know, I mean, in some ways, these are the kind of events that brings the community together to fight back, to push back, and to, and to work out ways around this. I mean, from from – what retailers just offering to donate mouse, uh, particularly in the affected counties, uh, and other things. But, um, yeah, it, 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 this, obviously this issue has gotten a lot of attention. Yeah. I mean, it's been everywhere. It's been yeah. on everywhere. CNN, New York Times. I mean, you know, everywhere that just, you know, it's become actually one of those stories that really, uh, really catches fire. And, you know, the sub follow up to it is that mouse was sold out on Amazon. Um, yes, you know, it's back ordered yes. through March. I mean, you, you know, I keep quoting, unfortunately, Obi-Wan Kenobi is like, if you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you could possibly <laughs> imagine. But it's just so apt in this because more people are talking about mouse, more kids are reading mouse <laughs> yes, right. than they ever, you know, they have. And yeah. so, but I, you know, I think the larger problem is just, you know, we have been talking about these these attempts to ban books. And in Texas, there's, you know, there's legislation. I, I, I quoted a couple of, of you know, tweets from librarians and uh, in a kind of a follow-up story. And they're just heartbreaking, uh, just yeah. absolutely terrifying, really. Yeah. And often the thing that makes us different from previous outrages where some parents saw it and freaked out is that, a lot of the people bringing, you know, the requests to ban the book or the requests to pull it from a curriculum don't have children in those schools. They're just random people who have ideologically taken against it, who are weighing into schools they don't even have any connection with. Well, it's become completely politicized and completely organized. I mean, there is absolutely an organized um you know, movement behind this that it's not about local school boards. You're absolutely right, Kate. And, and I should say, you know, we've seen waves of this over the past uh, um, in different ways. Yeah, but ways. not like this, Cal. Just, I'm just reading. There's a, a, a tweet that I that mm. I um, that I quoted, and I, you know, I've been I retweeted it, but uh, it's from a teen librarian named Karen Jensen. I don't know where she is, but she uh, she has a big blog post up called Sunday Reflections. Teen librarians are not pornographers and other things you should know about the people who have dedicated their lives to serving sure. youth in your community. But her tweet was, in case you're wondering what it's like to be a librarian these days, my husband and I have made plans for what happens if certain laws are passed, what lines we won't cross, what mm -hmm. happens if I get fired, and what happens if they start throwing librarians in jail, yeah. which is literally what yeah. they are trying to do in some communities. Yeah. They're literally yeah, trying right. to say librarians will go to jail. So, I mean, I think, you know, of course there have been book bans and book challenges before, but not on this level. No, I hear you. I hear you. And, and, I, and I mean, I think we also need to be clear that there have been many times at which things were more restrictive as far as what was available to be read on the shelves. However, what's coming up here now is not that this book just can't be published or this book has not been bought by schools in the first place, but that there has been this flowering of, of freedom of speech that, um, certain forces have taken a dislike to, which is especially interesting given that they're often the ones complaining about lack of freedom of speech. But moving on. 
Well, there is. <laughs> well, that's you know, just the political hypocrisy. But it, yeah. It's the it's the politicization of of just everything, you know, and it's just really it's just. You know, it's yeah. so tiring. And, it, you know, that's the whole point. The point is to wear you down and tire you out. Right. You know, just but to hear. Yeah. I was trying to give a, a, a light of hope that, like, what you see on the shelves in a school library today is still, even with bands, light years ahead of where it was when I was in high school. Yes. Or when you were in high school or when Calvin was and Certainly in when I was in high school. Yes, certainly. Well, I should hope when, when Calvin and I were in high school, things are better because, um, you know, it would be terrible. Yeah. But, but you listen, it's not, uh, you know, the other tweet that I read that got, you know, thousands and thousands of retweets was, um, somebody who scolded said school libraries don't need you to donate copies of mouse and other banned books they need you to step up and run for the school board so the books don't get banned in the first place so you know listen this is we're, mm. things are going to get much worse before they get better well you know it is a election year a midterm year this is one of the wedge topics that the republicans are using to get out the vote yeah well the well, cultural wars is there there is always their fallback position and of course school board meetings have become Basically, trench, trench, cultural trench warfare. Yeah. Right. And I this mean, is going to be a new topic. Yeah. I, I think that we need to make it a, a, we need to distinguish between, uh, typical political tactics of the past or of mainstream Republicans and the political tactics that these book banners are currently using. Um, it is, yes, there's part of it that they want to get rid of the books, but there's also an element of, have you ever heard the phrase, doing it for the gram? Um, they sure. tend to like to post videos of yeah. their own diatribes to YouTube, of them just absolutely harassing and haranguing school board members. And this is not normal Republican behavior. These are these are trolls. These are in-person trolls who are getting their lulls from just destroying the education of children. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, listen, we will continue to talk about the story because uh, two of the books that are really on the front lines of it are New Kid by Jerry Craft, mm -hmm. uh, which is being, you know, held up as some sort of uh, you know, uh, 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 you it, know, it's, it's hard to even understand the race theory. what they think it is, they, how they can yeah. tarnish it. I mean, yeah. it's the most like open ended, yeah. uh, embracing book you could imagine. It's, it's just like, it's you know, just about a new kid, about a kid trying to fit in in a new environment and make friends. And it's just absurd. To yeah. think of this as anything but like a positive for any yeah. kid to read of and any the, race. It's yeah. just, it's, and the it's other absurd. book is, of course, Gender Queer by former Publishers Weekly yes. reviewer yes. Maya Coben. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this book is, you know, they're threatening to throw librarians in jail if they carry this book. So yeah, you know, we will, uh, the, we will have many more stories yeah. like this, unfortunately. But, uh, for now, Mouse is winning. And you know, people are admitting that there was a thing called the Holocaust that killed more <laughs> yes. than six million people. And, and there's, 
Lots of yeah. books about it and more to come, more <laughs> so to come. speak. Well, <laughs> on a positive note, just as a reminder of how I always say our librarian friends and, um, you know, Calvin and I both love librarians uh, yeah, because they're the best. They're just the best. Yeah. And they love comics. Like, and there's, you know, the GNR, the GNCRT, the Graphic Novel Comics Roundtable is uh, the ALA's comics based reading focused group. They have a lot of words for how they have these <laughs> groups. But anyway, it's a round table and they did announce their um their best graphic novels, uh the BGN BGNA, the best graphic novels for adults reading list, and for the first time their BGN kids list. Yeah. And uh which is the first for them. And Calvin we've talked Kate and Calvin, we've talked about their adult reading list before on here. Just, you know, it's very groundbreaking because librarians needed a resource like this. Oh well, well, absolutely, and obviously the um, the uh, the graphic novels and comics roundtable uh, is you know it is getting up to speed. This is a it's an organized group within the ALA uh, and a focused interest group. Uh, they established it a couple of years ago, and slowly but surely, boy, they 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 have found their 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 um, their pace and their mission, and um, they really have put together a number of programs. I mean, they have an ongoing um, schedule of uh, panels, online panels and whatnot since this whole pandemic started. But really launching these lists, uh, the YALSA list for many years has kind of, uh, been the standard, uh, and it will continue to be so. But uh, it's really good to see the Graphic Novels uh, Roundtable, obviously, um, getting into yes. the act as well. And it's a reminder of just why we must support uh, librarians. They are supporting our literacy and reading and the freedom of expression and uh, comics. So, yes. Yeah, great. Now, and just Hurrah. to let these people know, that they do a top ten, and then, of course, they do a much longer comprehensive yes. list of really uh, just the, the the best books in the category coming out yeah. in the year. And, the for, and just for very quickly, for adult collections, this is especially huge because, you know, Yalsa has had yeah. a list of comics for young readers and there are quite a few resources for young readers but if a librarian wants to build a collection of adult graphic novels it often is there aren't a lot of resources for it because there are a lot more kids graphic novels yeah. to be honest and so you know having a list of of recommended titles really helps them so when they're uh, you know if they need to ever request budget Say these are the books we need to buy. Yeah. It's just it's just a huge help. Yeah. So in, in yeah. some ways, the adult side of the of the, of the library equation uh, is still um, a little bit of a frontier uh, as far as the uh, uh, collection development. Uh, the kids in the YA have exploded. Uh, it makes you know that that war is won. Uh, so, but there's still some work to do on the adult side, and this 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 new list is is a big step forward. Absolutely. And so just on one more positive note, um, as we recorded this, the story isn't live, but going up tomorrow morning on the beat is a story that I've been working on that has some sales charts uh, for graphic novels for 2021 sales, uh, courtesy of Kristen McLean at Bookscan. We've talked, uh, NPD Bookscan. We've talked about Kristen many times here on the podcast. She is the, uh, she has a cool title actually. Um, she is the executive director of business development, and she's really great at helping uh, explain numbers and give you numbers. So, uh, you know, the top line 
Graphic novel sales were up 65% in 2021. And that <laughs> is in bookstores. 65%. Yes. Yeah, that's a great number. It's not as good as the 100% that they were the year before, but that's still pretty damn good. <laughs> uh, explosive growth. And they sold 21 million more graphic novels wow. in 2021 than 2020. Um, and of course, manga led the way. Uh, among the, the books that were sold, manga made up 76% of the graphic novels sold last year. Um, well, you know, that's really interesting because this, you're talking about numbers that look like the market in like 2004, 2005, when yeah. manga was like two thirds. Right. Of, but of course, that far higher number. Yes, at much higher numbers. Uh, um, so that's really an interesting. Yes. Well, anyway, you guys have not seen this. I'm, uh, the, you know, maybe we can talk about this next time we get together because there's really some, uh, fascinating numbers on here. And, you know, Bookscan allows us to run percentages. They don't really allow us to, to just repeat the, the you know, their charts. Yeah, the but, um, I think there's some pretty interesting, uh, data on there. So yeah, check out the beat, uh, this morning. Hey, everybody. This is Kate. Uh, I'm back. I had my Skype crash, but I'm back now. <laughs> I know Calvin and I were blabbing on so much we didn't even notice. I, I apologize, Kate. So we were just talking when you dropped out. We were just talking about how manga made up 75% of graphic novel sales in bookstores last year. So, yeah, we'll see where this is going. Um, there's some talk that, you know, the difficulty – of getting anything printed, much less, you know, specialty products like manga and graphic novels may eat into sales. And I mean, I know that just looking at the stores, the shelves look a little bare in the graphic novel and manga section. But mm. um, with any luck, the popularity of the product will make sure it's still selling well even when the variety of product or the ability to get product is a little more difficult. Well, that reminds me that there was a story on Publishers Weekly, again with the NPD book scan, and I alluded to this in my own article, that says that we shouldn't expect such huge growth in 2022. Mm. Um, that book sales will probably go down in 2022, and but still be at a higher level. Yeah. Although it, it did mention that that going to the bookstore, and I, I mean, before we, we started recording, Kate, you talked about going to the comic shop for the first time in a while. And I, I think, I, I think physical stores are going to do just fine because I think people really want to go <laughs> to out, get out of the house things, <laughs> to see other people. And, you know, comic shops are a social hub as, as well as a store. Yeah. I mean, to clarify, I have been to comic stores since the pandemic, but I had not made the effort to catch up with that monthly run those ongoing titles, I had just been picking up trades of things that I heard were good and that uh, I had missed out on because the publishing schedule was so wonky for a while. But, you know, sort of New Year's resolution, I was like, hey, things seem to be pretty back to normal. Um, you know, time to, to, to ask around, check things out, and pick up where I left off. And I really, I'm glad I did it. Um, you know, it, it was nice. It was really nice. And yeah. somebody's doing something with some paper that they should not do. Calvin, 
I see him. He's got a piece of paper, Kate. Yeah, but I, I think we worry about the sounds of paper way too much. But 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 let's move on. I will say that it's annoying. Yeah, and I, it, yeah. it annoys me. It annoys clients even more. I mean, anyway, whatever. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Sorry about paper. Well, <laughs> okay, I use paper. paper. I use paper. You're not going to need paper for a lot of comics because uh, another big story this week was that Substack launched their second wave of projects. And yeah. They even called it Comics Day on Substack. They had a whole CDOS. They had a whole little, uh, uh, you know, hashtag for it, which uh, I think is pretty good. And, uh, yeah, there was really no one-size-fits-all with these projects. Uh, no, this is kind of interesting. I mean, I've got my panels app. I mean, I'm waiting for some comics. So <laughs> I can't wait to see this. I mean, we've got we've got a lot of new material coming on. We were talking about this earlier. I mean, we really are interested in, in entering into uh, just a new era of publishing uh, options, con- consuming options, both, uh, you know, obviously uh, consuming options for the fans and publication options. You know, for the artists, I mean, all of this is subject to, um, you know, uh, uh, actually working and, you know, the process of, 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 of getting material out to the public. But, um, it really is kind of a brave new world, uh, opening up in front of us. Well, one of the things that people noticed about these new Substack comics, um, and, you know, to be clear, there's projects by Grant Morrison, Brian K. Vaughn, and Nico Henricon, um, uh, you know, Jeff Lemire announced that he's going to do uh, a um, Black Hammer book on Substack, which will then be published by Dark Horse. Uh, boy, I'm looking who else. I mean, everybody. Jesus, everybody. You know, Kelly Thompson had a new book. Um, then, uh, Isn't Deb Aoki a part of one yes, of these? Yes, of course. The right, manga explaining. How can I forget? Yeah. Deb Aoki and Chris Butcher and Andrew right, right. Uh, Woodrow Butcher are doing a manga explaining as a substack with with manga that they're going to be serialized. Yeah. And and Kari Randolph and Joanne Starr have launched mm-hmm. their own little mini imprint. And actually I have talked to them and they will be our guests next week Excellent. on Nordicon. Um Excellent. so look for that next week to really talk more to some actual Substack creators. But um uh, one thing that this wave did was almost everybody made the comics free to read. Yeah. By subscribing you get the extras and by um, subscribing at a very high level, you get like a, a mug or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, a lot more Substack coming. All right. Well, like I said, I've got my panels app already and, uh, more to come. Yeah. More but, to come. But speaking of, and speaking of what Cal was just saying about new platforms, um, you know, we mentioned, we've mentioned, talked about Kickstarter being, uh, you know, going on the blockchain, the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And so a lot so of, dumb. so dumb. And a lot of people are, are turning against Kickstarter. And guess what? I'm seeing a lot of new crowdfunding platforms. So Tobacco, ah. which is a very well established kind of, mer- okay, now you really are making a lot of noise, Calvin. I'm not making any noise. Who's doing that? It's not it's me. Kate. It's Kate it's, making it's the noise. It's not me. It's the, s- the system. I don't know. Something was weird in Skype. Whatever. Let's start again. Okay, I'll start again with this whole item. Well, speaking of new platforms, as Calvin was, um, Kickstarter's move to blockchain has left the door wide open for a lot of people to start their own crowdfunding platforms. So Topatica, which is a very well-known company that kind of started out as merchandising 
for web cartoonists. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we always say, how do web, how do you make com- money from comics on the web? And the earliest way was to do merchandising at the Patico, which is, uh, run by, uh, Jeffrey Rowland, who was a cartoonist himself. Um, he kind of got a lot of the most prominent web cartoonists of the aughts together and did their merchandising. And then it became a Kickstarter fulfillment company. And now they are launching Topata Go, a crowdfund, their own crowdfunding platform. Um, and the first thing they're crowdfunding is a plush potato, which is their, which is (laughs) their, um, mascot. But then they're also doing, looking to see here if I can, my, now my browser, boy, this is a cursed, the cursed, uh, podcast tonight oh yeah they're doing uh the uh collection of the webcomic back by casey green and anthony clark but i mean of course i'm sure they have other projects lined up as well 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 it's interesting this new generation of middlemen that obviously help independent publishers but help um crowdfunders uh develop their campaigns uh, service them get the stuff out get the premiums out um uh it's interesting um yeah and word on the street is mm. that we're going to see even we're going to see the launch of another platform. Yes, that's the word I hear as well. So yes, more to come. <laughs> no, more to come. More to come. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, well, uh, you know, the old model here, uh, just to touch about this briefly, but, uh, you know, we talked about all the controversy about Action Lab a while ago. So Action Lab is one of these, I guess you well, you know, they kind of tried, aspired to be a, a, a mini major, I guess, or a major mini, a major mini, um, <laughs> kind of from, I call them artist alley publishers. You know, they, they can't afford a booth in the regular mm-hmm. part of a con. So they set up an artist alley, which nothing wrong with that. Absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, it's economical, but you know, it's like when you get to a certain point, you can afford your own booth. Action Lab did have its own booth for years, but, uh, anyway, uh, there is a, barn burner of a class action suit filed against them by more than 40 creators. And you can read this. It's up on classaction.org. You can read the complaint, but um, just to give uh, the case claims actually has apparent failure to follow through on its contractual promises started long before the pandemic. I mean, basically the publisher went AWOL. They came back. They promised to distribute and market the comics. Uh, the plaintiff, as the plaintiff saw it, Action Lab failed to do any of these things and even changed the terms of its agreements. For instance, yep. it says the company would not solicit a creator's project until a certain number of issues were completed. The case claims Action Lab also did not routinely communicate with creators, including the event of publishing delays and even outright ignored. Well, this is just bad publishing. Uh, well, it just seems like a complete co- collapse. And a grad school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like a co- complete co- collapse of any editorial or management uh, responsibility at Action Lab. Yeah. yeah. And and quite frankly, an ethical collapse in that there was lack of transparency and lack of returning rights to people. Who yeah, I mean, everything. I mean, everything is wrong. I mean, yeah. they've broken pretty much every rule and every – I mean – it's hard to even know where to begin. Yeah, it's 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 a good read. It's yeah. a good repetitive read, but um, it's just uh, I you know, good for them. I mean, I think a class action suit is unprecedented. This is in its own way as interesting as image unionizing. Actually, I mean, a class action suit by the creators mm. against a publisher who, you know, screwed the pooch. Can we say that on there? The, I think you just did, but uh, yeah. but. Yeah. but 
I mean, what I'm hoping is that, I mean, essentially is that people get their rights back. Is, is there any money there? I would doubt it. Yeah, that, I think that's why they did class action. They, they need their, their rights yeah, back, uh, rights free back, and yeah. clear, yeah. Uh, and they need to get it because it's just a complete disaster. This is an implosion. Um, yeah. Oops. So it's really a tough break for any creator that's involved with the Action Lab. It's yeah. now or in the past. Well, Calvin, uh, PW did profile another small publisher that's trying to become a major mini. Yeah, um, uh, Scout Comics, um, uh, launched in 2015. It's very interesting. The principles really, uh, and we've seen this in the, in the past, uh, comics companies seem to be, the, the comic startups invariably seem to have people with movie business. Uh, screenwriting, TV production, not knocking it. Of course, this can be a very, uh, an important, um, you know, wing driving force to the, to a company, uh, if it's done in the right way. Uh, and, and you can take a look at the comics and, and figure it out yourself. Uh, uh, they do have some really, I think some pretty, some really good content. I think they have some fun, exciting contents, content. The, the, uh, the people that are running the, com- the company among them, uh, Brendan Deneen, who people may know, he's been, uh, he's been involved in comics for many years. He's really a book to film guy. He worked at Vermillion for years. He's worked at William Morris. Uh, he really has had his hand in, uh, in comics on the comic side and in translating comics into film production for many years. Um, I think the chief media officer, Don Hanfield, uh, he's a veteran screenwriter. Um, uh, he's produced shows for a lot of different people. Uh, he writes a number of, uh, has written a number of Scouts, uh, comics. Uh, and let's see, um, let's see, the president of the company, uh, James Hake, he's like a financial planner. They have a very interesting business model, basically a modern business model that will deliver comics any way you want it. Um, you can get subscription boxes. Uh, you can get, they, they, they're all in for collectors. They love to do various kinds of collectible stuff. In fact, one of their, uh, one of their features is, are, are, are these limited editions where they print the cover of the comic on a metal plate. I mean, people line it up to get them. It's fine. But I will say this. They've, they've got some really nice storytelling too. I have read, uh, I think one of, I think it's, uh, Hanfield's book, Unicorn, which is a very charming, kind of fantasy work about a girl and her unicorn uh, uh-huh. uh and there's also another uh comic eternus which is really kind of look it's kind of a a look at ancient the olympic olympic gods uh as they act out their various you know uh uh beefs with one another uh including uh, uh what's the the uh, uh the the goddess that turns you to stone. Medusa. Uh, Medusa. Medusa as a kind of warrior hero. So, uh, uh, the profile was done by Bridget Alverson, uh, and she gives you a top to bottom profile of a new company, and they've got some, they've got, in fact, I think Unicorn is, uh, either an option or is in production. Yeah. Program. I wouldn't call Scout a new company. They've been around quite a while, but they definitely have leveled In 2015. Yeah. They launched in 2015, yeah. yeah. So, yes. I mean, yeah. relatively new. Sure. Yeah, seven, that's seven years, Calvin. That's, not that's true. That's true. So it's not really new. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, 
but they've been leveling up. I will say, yeah. you know, they got a, they went with Lunar for distribution, which I thought was a very bold move. Yeah. And I think they were the first publisher other than DC to go with Lunar. And, um, yeah, you know, they're yeah. trying all these other things. So hopefully yeah, yeah, and they, they, have book, they have book distribution through Simon and Schuster. They've yeah, got about, and they they're publishing about 27, I think, book collections in 2022 up, uh, from what they did last year. So. Yeah, check them out. Well, hopefully they go the way of, you know, Vault Comics and not Action Lab. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. Well, Kate, Kate, you had some very intriguing uh, news about a very intriguing lawsuit, didn't you? Yes. So, speaking of lawsuits, um, this is one that is by no means cut and dried. So, Cloudflare which is one of the biggest, quote-unquote, content delivery network. That means they get you your websites in the English-speaking world is up against four of the top manga publishers in a lawsuit that is going to be held in Japan, which is going to make this interesting. Shueisha, Kodansha, Shugakukan, and Katakawa are seeking combined damages of about 400 million yen or 3.4 million dollars because they are coming after Cloudflare because they say that Cloudflare's content delivery network um, is helping pirates. Now, this is by no means cut and dry. Um, Cloudflare's content delivery network, CDN, and pass through security services are useful for a wide variety of different website uses. They're not like some sneaky pirate tool specially invented just to protect manga pirates. And so uh, Cloudflare has been pretty serious about protecting their business model in the past. Um, And previously most of the companies that um, the major publishers have come after have, you know, just said, oh, yeah, oh, well, they're pirates. Oh, well, then that's too bad. Uh, sure, you're right. Cloudflare has a history of um, being a lot harder to come after. So this is this is not David versus Goliath. This is Goliath versus Goliath. It's almost like Goliath versus Godzilla, really. Um, yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's more like Mothra versus Godzilla as far as size goes. <laughs> so, because let's face it, Goliath would get squished by Godzilla, and this is not that. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I, I mean, I don't really even understand what a CDN uh, is. I know okay. that to a certain extent they're, they're key to syndicating this material on to other places. Yeah, let me give you a very clear example. Uh, you know, the beat runs on Cloudflare because, uh, again, it provides, and it's free. If for, for some insane reason, they offer the service for free, but you sign up for Cloudflare and then um, basically they cache your content. And then if somebody comes to your site, um, it delivers it faster. Okay, It makes the web faster. However, mm-hmm. it also monitors threats. Okay, it, mm-hmm. Really, every website, like I, I can't imagine how much of the web actually is serviced by Cloudflare, but, uh, you know, probably 50% of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I 
uh, have uh, spam on my on my site, I can get their ISP and I can actually go to Cloudflare and I can ban that ISP. I can ban a domain. So they do have a suite of security services on Cloudflare that even a humble website manager such as myself can avail myself of. So I, I kind of get what the mm-hmm. Japanese manga publishers are saying. They're saying that Cloudflare could ban these ISPs, mm-hmm. okay, P- ban pirate ISPs. But uh, I think what Cloudflare is saying in their response is that it's been already legally um, established that a CDN of this kind, which a CDN is still not quite what Cloudflare does, but let's use it for now, um, that they are not legally, you know, responsible for plagiarism or so on. Okay, so the manga publishers are saying that Cloudflare's CDN services. Just the fact that they're doing CDN services is a bad for um, the pirate be- sites, right? But they're they're making the argument that Cloudflare's current business model of how they approve someone to get CDN services does not have quote unquote sufficient verification of identity. Mm, so their right. argument is not Cloudflare should have taken it down and we told them. Their argument is Cloudflare should never have allowed these sites to have CDN in the first place. Right. Whereas Cloudflare is arguing, hey, we are not ethically responsible for checking the legality of all of these hundreds of thousands of sites that happen to use our service. We are not in charge of these sites. Leave us alone. Now, now didn't they have some other legal agreement earlier, some settlement with these Japanese published in 2019? They had a settlement, but Cloudflare was like, yeah, cool, have some money. Go away. (laughs) And um, they're like, no, we don't want money. I mean, we want money too, but we want you <laughs> to change your business model. So Cloudflare is not going to change their business model unless they're forced. So, yeah, this should be exciting. This will not, yeah, I, I, Cloudflare's not going to change what they do. I mean, like I said, you can literally go to their, I'm looking at the site right now, you can literally just go sign up for it, okay? They, they don't check anything. And, um, you know, like I said, it, it delivers, you know, like so much traffic and it's free, but there is a paid service. I guess they make enough from their paid service. You know, otherwise I'd say this is some kind of James Bond villain, you know, Cloudflare. It even sounds like that. <laughs> um, but listen, um, I think what's really interesting about this is that the manga publishers continued flailing about for a way to stop piracy. Yeah. Yes. And, and they continue to do so. Everything. Yeah. And I think that this, just needs a little context. If you haven't been listening to uh, my briefs at the end of, of many of our episodes, if you're just tuning in or if you just stop tuning in after Calvin and Heidi stop talking, um, the manga industry and to a lesser degree, the anime industry have redoubled their efforts um, to really crack down on piracy post pandemic because during the pandemic, uh, piracy went up significantly. Japanese courts have been 
much more restrictive and much more supportive of of the requests of the anime and manga industry than perhaps an American court would be, which is why it's relevant. This is being done in Japan. And so, for example, there has just been a, um, a win for fair use in this battle because the anime studios came after Mark Fitzpatrick, a, a American YouTuber of the anime YouTube review channel, totally not Mark. And Toei Animation basically told YouTube that they thought um, every single one of his anime reviews was a copyright violation. But, but by the terms of American copyright, it is not. So YouTube uh, settled the situation by um, changing, actually, the way YouTube does copyright so that now you can select what countries you want your item to be available yeah. in. And if you know, or like, if like Japan says, we want you to take this down because this is a copyright violation, they can have it taken down in Japan and it can remain up in other countries where it is not a copyright violation. Because in the United States and many countries, very small clips of something for the purposes of review is fair use and not a copyright violation. Um, and previous to this, Japan had been, Japanese publishers had been very successful in just completely chilling effect, ban hammering many things that are by American law fair use. So, you know, this is, this is where different countries' legal systems come into conflict. And this is going to be interesting. That, a good navigation of a tricky topic, yeah, uh, Kate. Yeah, good, good, good coverage there, Kate. Um, definitely interesting. Just an interesting, all of this, I don't know, I find it. I'm a wonk, listeners. Have yeah. you figured that out? I love wonks yes. and stuff like this. Yes. Manga versus Cloudflare. I, I didn't have that well, one in my... Yeah, know. because I think often when we cover it, it sounds kind of one-sided, where it's like, oh, well, they're going after pirates. And, you know, yes, Mangamura definitely needed to be taken down, right? This is like monetized, huge-scale piracy. But with the, when they bring out the big guns... A lot of things that, by our law, really isn't piracy gets hit too. So this is where things get complicated. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, the the ongoing saga really of manga publishers uh, fighting against copyright infringement. Uh, this it ain't over. Yeah. Yeah. So we have some bad news and we have some good news. Um, in bad news, well, at least for IDW, uh, IDW has lost the rights to Transformers and G.I. Joe adaptations. Um, as someone who quite likes the IDW Transformers comics, this is kind of sad. Um, they will continue to publish them through the end of 2022, but after that point, you know, Hasbro can license them wherever they want. They do retain the rights to publish um, My Little Pony and Dungeons and Dragons, though, so that's something. Mm-hmm. Um, no word on, on where this is going next. Yeah. End of an era. Uh, on a lighter, happier note, um, The Guardian, the British newspaper with a worldwide following, um, 
has announced the winners of their graphic short story prize. So they have, it turns out, a contest for original nonfiction graphic short stories. And they have published for free on their website three, the three top winners. So Astrid Goldsmith's A Funeral in Freiburg is available to read for free. It is a um, short story about the um, small town politics surrounding her attempts to get her grandmother buried in a Jewish cemetery. It spins out of control, and it's very interesting. And then the runners-up are Tat F.B.'s Cancer Cells and A. Wolfgang Crow's Andrew. Uh, all three are available to read for free on theguardian.com. I encourage you to do so. And uh, one more little bit of comings and goings. Tune Books, the uh, graphic novel imprint for younger readers, um, launched by Francois Mouly, has been acquired by Astra Publishing House. They are the publishers of the literary magazine, Astra Magazine, and they do own some other smaller publishers. Yeah, I can jump in if you want. Yeah, please do. They, they, I think they have about seven different imprints. They're really focused Mm -hmm. on children's publishing. They're based in Beijing. Uh, They're a Chinese publishing house. However, they have been very aggressive in bringing in a really a very impressive uh New York City based uh editorial staff. I mean there are very experienced um uh editors from all over New York uh, publish uh, New York City publishing. Um uh, uh they seem to really be focused on very quality books. Obviously bringing in Francois Mouly, uh they've gotten about as good a quality as you can get. Yeah, she's she's staying she's staying with two. So books. yes. So uh it, it's a very they are they're 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 getting the whole thing kit and caboodle, including the whole backlist. Obviously Francois has some extraordinary books on the tune books list. Uh uh which she launched in two thousand eight. So uh, yeah, but just to jump in there, I, I mean I know Francois tried to find a publishing partner yeah. when she started and, um, you know, got a lot of rejection. And, you know, who's laughing now? So. There you go. Yeah. And she bounced yeah, her a little bit. Kids, turned out kids like comics. That's right. Yeah. She had some arrangement with some other larger publishers, too. That, yeah, But she, this, she, yeah. this yeah, is a little had, different. Yeah. Yeah. She's had some partnerships over the years, I should say. Yeah. Partnerships. Some, but now it is actually. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. Is that. Well, that wraps us up I don't. I don't see how it's possible. Because uh, after everything we talked about today, but <laughs> I guess there will be more to come. Somehow Kate is two people on here. It's funny. <laughs> okay. No comment. <laughs> Okay, where you at?
Thank you.